When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Everybody, welcome to another episode of AMA. I am here to answer your questions today. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And if you're a regular watcher of the show, you'll notice that we're on a different set today. We are on the final uh, leg of our holiday journey here, and the team will be joining us again for the next one. But for now, we're on this set, and uh, I'm going to be using a laptop a little bit different than what we normally do, but hopefully it will be just as amazing as it is always. So thank you guys so much for joining me, for tuning in. If you have a question, be sure to drop it into the feed. My man Chase, as always, while remote, um, is going to be... Um, submitting your questions. So, in fact, we have one to begin with right now. Let's dive into this bad boy. And it is uh, a question from Andrew Scottsko in uh, the Connect Inbox, which, by the way, if you guys don't know about the Connect Inbox, if you ever have a question that you want to ask uh, and you want to submit it ahead of time, you can send it to connect at impacttheory.com. All right, his question is, to call in two figures who have influenced my thinking, Cal Newport and Peter Diamandis, how do you reconcile their seemingly contradictory messages about purpose, passion? Newport talks about developing passion versus uncovering it, whereas Diamandis talks about finding your massively transformative purpose. All right, so I've read Cal Newport's book. It actually had a big influence on the way that I think about passion um, and is amazing, by the way, and I highly recommend it for anybody that hasn't read um, his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And I'm sure that you've heard me say that phrase a thousand times, which comes from um, my boy, the comedian. Oh, God, why can't I remember his name? Uh, Gray hair. Hilarious. Wow. That is really weird. So anyway, from the comedian who is so famous, I'm going to punch myself in the mouth at the end of this episode for not remembering. Um, he talks about how you can cultivate your passion, which is a huge thing for me, at least as I use the words. Now, I know Peter very, very well, and I can tell you that while they use different words, they very much mean the same thing. So Peter does not see himself as an archaeologist at all. Uh, and if you look at what he's, and when I say archaeologist, what I'm talking about is there are two ways, as you outlined in this question, to really think about your passion. You've got somebody who views themselves as an archaeologist who's turning inward. They're digging to find something that has always been there, they're uncovering this um, thing that this beautiful jewel that's been hidden inside themselves forever. And somehow they didn't see it up until that moment. And then you have people who realize that they are architects and they have to build the thing that they want. Um, Peter is very much of the architect variety. And if you look at what he's doing with his kids in terms of introducing them to a lot of things, trying to spark their curiosity. In fact, if I remember right, I asked Peter about that. And he said the one thing that he wants to do isn't force feed his kids any one thing in particular. It's simply to make sure that they're curious, that they have a love of learning. And from that, you can infer what he's really trying to do is give them that first thing that starts you down a path of really finding the things you like. And this is where it slips directly into Cal Newport's work, finding things that you resonate with um, through exposure. And then by really engaging with something, you realize whether or not it's something that is going to turn into a full-blown fascination. Those are my words, not Cal Newport's. And then from the fascination, you go down a process of gaining mastery. Now, this is very much Cal Newport's work. You go through a process of gaining mastery. And in that process of gaining mastery, you find out whether something is a passion or not. And see, even there, I slide into those words find, which is sort of inevitable. And I think that that's why you, it sounds like Peter and Cal are saying different things. We're all just conditioned with this notion of find. And there is a process of that discovery through the process of gaining mastery, but it really is through that engagement through doing that you're seeing whether or not you're getting the emotional response that you want. Now, the reason that Newport talks about needing to go through a process of gaining mastery to, to 
turn it into a passion is because you've got to recognize the connection between getting good at something and the emotional neurochemical reward that you get from, I worked my ass off to gain the skill, I worked really hard to get good at this thing, and it has real world benefit. And that emotional cycle of, whoa, I worked really hard for this, and it has real world implications, which goes back to the ancient Greek notion of techni, which is a skill set that I busted my ass to get. They don't use that phrase, but you get my meaning. I busted my ass to get this skill set, and it has real use to other people. And I think that if you put Cal, and this is admittedly me guessing, but I think if you put Cal and Peter together, that they would both be like, yeah, 100%, that's exactly how the process goes, and it really comes down to verbiage. So, um, yeah, that's it. And looking at Peter's own life, his obsession with space and being somebody to help usher in um, a positive future to help society really adapt to that and use these technologies in a way that is uplifting to humanity that wasn't something that he was born with that was something that you know it was through his early interest in um, rocketry and then really engaging with that and that moment of um, wonderment of watching the space program come to life all of that stuff comes together and you get the person that you see today but it was very much a process of um, first just encountering something which you could call the exploration phase but then from that cultivating something um, that is that passion fanning those flames getting good at business in peter's um, instance and and really having to develop that skill set and it's that process of gaining mastery um, in which he realized that he really had a full-blown passion for it. And so to bring it all around, that's why Peter uses um, the, not uses, but that's why he's with his kids, he's trying to create um, an infatuation with learning. And from that, that cycle begins. So those two things aren't incongruous to me at all. In fact, I went through a very similar journey of really changing the wording that I was using, um, but realizing that um, there's nothing incongruous about those two things if you really understand the neurological process that we all go through to create something. Now, at some point, I would like to create a piece of content specifically around the how of fanning the flames of passion. That's something that people have asked me about, and it really is a mechanistic process that I go through to do that. And so um, one day, probably not today, um, but one day we will need to create something around that. All right, Steve Martin, Chase came to my aid, and it was probably there the whole time. Thank you, Chase. Um, I'm deeply saddened by your physical absence today, but very grateful to have you um, in the Slack feed. All right, next question is from uh, Raghav Rastogi. This is from YouTube. Which approach is better, Gary V's go all in and learn stuff through trial and error or Ty Lopez's mentor and a book approach? Um, I think you need both, to be quite frank. And I, will, I would get mentors whenever and wherever humanly possible, but if you don't understand that the very next step, and this is what Ty did, so I very much doubt Ty would disagree with this, you need to actually go and do it. So for those of you that don't know Ty's story, one, check out the episode that we did with him. It was great. Um, he found a mentor in the field of farming who himself, and I'm forgetting his name right now, Joel Saladin, I think, um, went on to be very successful in his own right, um, ushering in, I think it's um, organic um, farming. I think, yeah, there's something else in there that's very, very um, popular right now that he was one of the earliest adopters of. So Ty goes, starts learning from him, and then realizes that there's a deal on the table that Joel is going to pass on. And Ty says, let me do that, which is to go open his own farm. So he asked Joel to lend him money, if I remember right, lend him some money so that he could start that. And then he had a particular deal worked out with Joel, but it gave him a chance to actually run the farm and to learn about all of um, the things that he needed to really get his hands on to figure out. And so that process of first mentor and then total immersion, I think is, is the ultimate combination. And I think both of them would agree with that. I mean, even just looking at... Um, at uh, Gary's life, he started working in his, uh, actually, that's a lie, because he started with baseball cards and all of that. Maybe they would disagree. I don't know. It's interesting. So to me, it, it's the combination of both. Get a mentor if you can, and then immediately move into full immersion. Um, so yeah, I would do both. And in fact, it, it may be Peter that has the law. I think it is. I think it's one of Peter's laws. Uh, when given a choice between two things, take both. That would very much be my advice in this case. All right, next question is from Charles Rowe. This is on Facebook. My question is, have you ever disregarded one of your bright lines? And if so, how do you deal with that internally? Um, yes, there's 
disregarded is maybe not the right word, but like there are times, for instance, so I have a bright line that I get out of bed within 10 minutes of realizing that I'm awake. Um, and there have been times where I will miss it by a few seconds. So as I'm standing up, I'll see the clock change uh, to the 11th minute. Um, and I, I do a light form of punishment around that mentally and emotionally. And this is something that people really have to get good at. So the easiest way to explain it is on the positive side. So self-congratulatory behavior, I think is really important for people to learn how to do very effectively. You need to be able to congratulate yourself when you do something well. So if I get out of bed in my 10 minute window where that bright line is, um, then you need to say like, hey, well done. You, you said you were going to do it and you did it. And that needs to be something that you say and repeat. And if you don't, then you need to punish yourself. And I know people get really weird about those words, but I'm just telling you what works. So I'm not passing moral judgment on whether it should work. I'm just telling you the way the human mind is work, the way the human mind works. If you have a little bit, hey, motherfucker, you said you were going to get up and you didn't. And that's shameful. Um, and I do a thing where I force myself to admit it. So I will go and tell my wife, hey, you know, I said I was going to get out of bed in 10 minutes and I didn't today. Um, and it's it's. I want to say never, which is almost certainly accurate, but just in case I'll hedge my bets and say it's almost never because I just go, ah, fuck it. It's because I played with fire and I thought, ah, I can get away with this. And then, ooh, I'm probably getting up close to it. And then I jump up. Now, other, another area um, that I use bright lines is food. <sighs> I'm, I'm pretty religious about food. So the, the honest answer is I almost never um, break a bright line unless I have a reason that I've decided ahead of time when I'm what I call emotionally sober. So I don't in the moment go, oh, now you can break that bright line. I, I wouldn't do that. That's not my thing. So like when I fast, the bright lines, the bright lines. So the last time that I did a fast, actually, the, let's go back to the time before that. So the time before my most recent fast, um, in the middle of the night I, of the second day, I had the most brutal headache you can imagine. And I couldn't sleep because of it. And I really wanted to take Advil. But I didn't know if Advil had calories. And so I felt like I'd be violating my bright lines. And I thought I would rather suffer than break my bright lines. So it's interesting as I'm thinking through this. The answer is no. Don't break your bright lines. Uh, that is going to be problematic. You're going to lose credibility with yourself. Now, ahead of time, I will decide something. So for instance... Um, over the Christmas uh, holiday here, I am, I raised my calories. Um, and I actually had a piece of pie, which was pretty amazing. Um, and so, but I had decided ahead of time that I was going to do that. Uh, so while yes, my standard bright line, if I don't cheat on my diet, I don't have, um, I have a certain set number of calories that I'm going to have. And that's that. I decided, okay, over the um, holiday break that I was going to take my calories up, and so it's been as planned. Um, the reason that I don't break my own bright lines is because you lose credibility with yourself, which is one of the single most damaging things you could ever do to yourself is to not believe in yourself. So you really have to cultivate that belief, but it needs to be earned, needs to be done with small wins. This is one of the reasons that even forgetting the um, physical benefits and the health benefits to working out for me, especially because I don't like it, I earn credibility with myself every day by showing up in the gym. I said I was going to do it, and here I am. I'm doing it. Um, and so that's really, really important. And I think that doing things that break um, or that cause you to lose credibility with yourself are, are incredibly dangerous because of the knock-on effect that it has in the rest of your life. So for instance, if I were going to set uh, a 2018 New Year's resolution, which I'm not, by the way, because I don't really do resolutions. I try to be doing them constantly, all the time, all the time, all the time. But if I were going to set a resolution, um, I would be A, very careful about what I set it because I don't want to set it to something that I think I might not follow through on because then I would lose credibility with myself. So it needs to be something I really care about. And then second, once I set it, Dude, I am not going back on that. So that means that other things may fall by the wayside that are more important to me, which is why I'm so, so careful about setting them. So for instance, um, I oftentimes will do an IG story. Oh God, I forgot to IG story again. I'm going to bite this microphone. Um, so Chase, since you're listening, I will say we need a better system for my IG story reminders. Um, if you can help me work that out, I'd be eternally grateful. Um, but I often IG story while I'm in the gym. And whilst I, um, I did that one time and somebody wrote to me and said, um, yeah, I see you in the gym a lot, but where are those gains? And the honest answer is working out isn't important enough to me to push 
as hard as I would have to push to make additional gains. So my answer to him was very simple. I don't work hard enough in the gym to get gains. So there it is. I'm in a maintenance mode uh, from working out. For me, it's the health benefits. It's the um, maintenance of the physique that I do have. Um, but I know where it falls in my list of priorities. And so if something like if sleep comes into conflict with working out, I'll sleep. If um, preparing something, doing something for the business comes into conflict with working out, I will do the thing for the business because I know what my priorities are. So you need to know what your priorities are. You need to be honest with yourself. And when somebody says, why aren't you making gains? Don't bullshit yourself. The answer is it's not important enough. You're not putting in the time and the energy. There you have it. There's no like, oh, I work really hard. And, oh, you don't understand. Like my uh, genetics don't. No, bullshit. I just don't put in the work. That's the truth. So, but like with the business, which behind only my relationship is the single most important thing in my life. That gets my time and energy. So know where things fall, adjust your bright lines accordingly, set resolutions accordingly. Uh, because like, for instance, I was tempted, my wife will be interested to hear this, I was tempted to set a resolution about playing guitar, uh, which is something that I did for fun long ago and would really enjoy getting back into. But the truth is I ran through my list of priorities and all the things that it would collide with. Uh, it's very low on the list and I know that I'm not going to be able to, um, I'm not willing to dedicate the time to it in order to get good. So I'd never make myself that promise. All right, there you go. And Chase says he will help me with the IG uh, story. Thank you, Chase. Okay, next question is from Susan Heaton. This is on Facebook. What if you honestly have no idea what your passion purpose is, even after seeking exposure and looking deep within? <sighs> I have a hypothesis, Susan. And that hypothesis goes like this. There is something you like and enjoy, and you're judging yourself for it. And because of that, you never explore it. <coughs> so I believe, and I always use video games as the example here, because I really enjoy video games. I love playing them from my very first exposure to video games. In fact, let me walk you through a brief story. When I was like, I don't know, Nintendo came out when I was eight or nine, I asked my parents for one, and my mom is here, and I hope she's listening. Uh, I asked for a Nintendo, and every birthday and Christmas, I thought I would get it for sure, and I would look for any box that was even remotely the shape of a Nintendo. No, 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 no. My parents kept saying, you're not going to have it. Um, they thought it was antisocial. They thought it was going to rot my brain. Whatever, like, parents thought about video games back then. So I really didn't get one for years and years and years, and finally, when I was 12, my mom said, if you want a Nintendo, then you have to buy it yourself. Now, $100 to a 12-year-old kid, that was basically like $10,000. And so I had no idea how I was going to do that. My uncle owned a door factory, and he said, well, you can come work for me. Um, and so I went and worked in a door factory. And if I remember right, uh, I worked for $2.10 an hour. And it took me basically half of a summer to make enough money to buy the Nintendo. As soon as I got the money, I went and quit. Now, that's how much... I like video games. I was willing to work in a door factory. I have no much idea how much I hate manual labor. Uh, so I did that to get my Nintendo, and I quit immediately once I had it, and I started playing. Now, in playing video games, I realized, man, I really love this, but I could never do anything with this. It's going to rot my brain, all the normal bullshit. So I never pursued that, and I went down the path of pursuing film, and through doing that, realized, holy hell, I really love this thing. Now, as an adult, I returned to video games and realized I really enjoy it. I no longer have judgment on myself as to whether or not it could be something that I could make money at or whether it makes me a good person or a bad person. I don't give a shit what other people think. I know that I really enjoy it. But the truth is, in engaging, in getting good, in going down the rabbit hole of actually practicing and trying to improve my skills, I realize I don't have passion for it. So I'm not interested in trying to develop a passion around that because I don't get enough out of it to fight through the boredom and the just like relentless amount of hours that you would have to put into it. So when I think about the number of hours it would take me to get truly great and I project out to, okay, let's say I'm one of the greatest in the world, does it give me what I want? And the answer is no. So I think where people get stuck is like I did as a kid, I thought, well, I could never do anything with this. It could never be um, a meaningful source of income. It would never give me the things that I want as a person. Like that's where people stop and they never really re-engage with it and go through the process of trying to get better. And it's in the process of trying to get better that you're going to um, turn it into a passion or not. So that's a hypothesis. And if you were here, we could really dive into it. Um, but of all the people I've ever met in my life, that's been the vibe that I've gotten, that if they really sat down and went after something 
and didn't judge themselves. And when they found that thing that they were interested in, stopped worrying about what their family thought. They stopped worrying about making a lot of money. And they just asked themselves, is this something that as I get better at it, I will feel better about myself. I will be excited about my time when I project myself out into the future of what this would look like if I was one of the best in the world. Would that, even in the daydream, does that give me the thing that I want emotionally? Um, so that's my gut, but I'd have to sit down with you to go any further than that. All right. Next question is from Dean Botha. Hey Tom, I've been running my side business for a year now while working my day job. I've only been giving and not asking in this side business, which is my passion. My question now is when would be a good time leaving the stable job to then climb in fully with the side business and take the risk with regard to finances? So my answer to this is, Unfortunately, it's, it's nuanced. If you can, you want to make the side business profitable and able to sustain you at least at the lowest level of what you can get by on. So to give you an idea, I went from making $150,000 at Awareness Technologies. And when we started Quest, I cut that down to $50,000. And because that was like, I can get by. I'm not going to be able to leave my house, but I'm going to be able to pay my... Um, property taxes and my bills and all of that stuff. So we had just run the math. We had to get rid of a car and all that. So we cut our lives down to the quick. We decided we were never going to go out uh, for entertainment, um, food and stuff like that. We literally just stayed at home um, and built a business. So I didn't need to make back what I was making at awareness, but I needed to make enough to pay my bills. So once we figured out what that number was and we were able to, you know, put in austerity measures in our own lives and really tighten the belt, um, we were able to make it work. And so for about two years, we um, were, you know, sort of on subsistence wages since that was two of us living off 50K in LA, um, but we made it work. So that is what you have to figure out. Once you're making that, then I say jump over. Now, there are people who will tell you to burn the ships of the shore. And look, there is a moment where that may, may be what you need to do. If especially you're finding that it's just taking so much time and energy on your normal thing, um, then you might want to roll the dice and try it. Because look, at the end of the day, if you're good at your job, you can get your job again. So I wouldn't live in a state of paranoia around that, which is where most people live their lives. They think, oh my God, I can never get back here. They're paralyzed by fear. Um, that to me just shouldn't be something that you're fearful of unless you're actually not good at your job. And if you're not good at your job, then I am very terrified that you won't be good at running your company. So um, there is that realistic danger to be faced. But that's what I would do. Um, cut your life to the quick. Transition over as fast as humanly possible. Um, but there's no need to burn the ships at the shore if you don't need to, if you don't have some very pressing reason to do that. All right. Next question is from... Mia Lavoie. Hey, Tom, I'm newly passionate about my growth mindset. Unfortunately, I'm in a family predicament. If it were you, would you choose to stay home and take care of your dying parent? Whoa. And their dilapidating off-grid country property. Oh, and their dilapidating off-grid country property so they can function. Or would you consider their graves dug for themselves and go out to pursue your own dreams and career in another state? Wow. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you the real answer. What would I do if that were my mom or dad? Okay. So here's the truth. What you're going to need to do is you're going to find a way to do both. So going back to Peter Diamandis's law, when given an option between two things, do both. So you're living in a world where I hope the internet is going to come to your rescue here and that you're able to do both. Certainly you can uh, pursue a growth mindset from wherever you are. And I would look at taking care of them as part of that growth mindset, like make bigger demands on yourself, right? So step one of a growth mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to without limitation. You just have to be willing to put in the hard work to gain those skills. So how is it that we're going to take care of mom and or dad? Um, and the property, by the way, is totally irrelevant. So if one of the things that we need to do is move them with us, then let's do that. So I certainly wouldn't hesitate to do that. So the person who is dying does not get to make all the rules, but being cognizant of your own desire to be compassionate, to love them, to take care of them, I fully get that. So I would not leave my parents somewhere to just fend for themselves. I would bring them close. I would do whatever I needed to do in order to start building the business or whatever. I'm assuming um, I'm painting myself onto your picture here, but um, I would do that. So I would do as much as I could, like maybe staying at their house is actually less expensive than it would be for me to go somewhere else. And if I can do things in the business, that's amazing. If they're in some backcountry place, then chances are that your living expenses are next to nothing. 
and I would begin to really schedule my time. So what, when do I need to be there just purely for them emotional? Like how much time do they want to start the day there? Do they want to end the day there? Um, how much time goes into the actual sort of mechanics of taking care of them, food preparation, things like that. I would carve out that time. I would schedule it. And then I would schedule the time for building the business, actually executing against the business, whatever that is, and really map all that stuff out. And then I would also figure out financially what I needed to earn in order to bring someone else in to help. Because at the end of the day, the only part of taking care of my parents that I personally care about doing myself would be the emotional support, to be there, to listen, to spend time with them, to make them feel my love so that they really understood on a deep emotional limbic level that I cared about them, I wanted them to be happy, I wanted them to be comfortable, I wanted them to find some profundity in their final days um, rather than just eking out an existence. Uh, but this is one of those times where absolutely you have to make the demand of yourself to do both. Um, I think that the binary decision-making here is, is absolutely a mistake. Now, the more terrifying question for me is what would I do if the person had a grotesquely fixed mindset and death was like just this really horrific emotional experience for them as they begin to decline and they're trying to drag me down and woe is me and all of that. That is actually harder to answer. And I would say that in that, um, God, the honest answer is I would go on a I don't know enough about it. I'm not in this situation. It is brutally difficult. Let me couch, 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 and just say that, Jesus, I have nothing but compassion for somebody who's actually going through this, and I really hope that I never have to go through this. But here's my gut instinct. Follow my thinking, follow my logic, and see if it makes sense for you. Um, I've heard way too much about if, remember, this is for somebody who's really struggling mentally and emotionally with the process of dying. So um, first of all, if you can afford it, there are chaplains and things that help people through this. I think that'd be amazing. Um, so I would start there, see if somebody who's very experienced in this can come and help give some perspective. Second, I've heard way too many good things about um, psychedelics and people in the um, process of dying. And so I would really begin a drip campaign to get my uh, parent to try it. Um, and it's odd, but you're, it's hardest to affect those closest to you. So ironically, there are hundreds of thousands of people around the globe that listen to my advice. My parents, not so much. So this is one of those times where I would try to get somebody else who was an expert in the field to really um, make that suggestion. All right, I find this question fascinating. I could really go down this rabbit hole. I will leave it at that um, and move on to the next one. Thank you for that question. Very uh, out of left field and wonderful. Okay, next question is from Ambrose Cook. This is YouTube. What are some of the things you see as binary and what are others that you see are necessary to have balance or middle ground? Ooh, I need way more specifics on that, Chase. So if they submit some, um, then I can answer it. Otherwise, it's, it's uh, just too abstract. Um, give me like a concrete something. All right, next question is from Brian M. This is YouTube. Hi, Tom. Few years ago, I got into a field that I loved, but recently it seems like the honeymoon phase has passed and I find myself wanting to leave every time rough challenges come. Any advice? Yes. So you're going to have to work backwards. You need to figure out what happened. So this is like romantic love to me. The, the exact same thing, which is why you're using the metaphor of the honeymoon phase being over, the exact same thing happens in relationships. So let me tell you what my wife and I did in our romantic relationship, and then you can uh, see, and I will walk you through how it exactly correlates to uh, a passion. So one, you need to understand that it is a neurochemical state, love. So it is going to come and go. There are going to be times where you feel it and there are going to be times where you don't. And over a long enough period of time, those cycles really begin to change. So in the beginning, even in the honeymoon phase, there's gonna be highs and lows. And in fact, I will say that the honeymoon phase is often marked by mania of ultra highs, ultra lows, and it's that intoxicating roller coaster that people really love. Now, over time, that tends to mature into something um, deeper but more calm. It doesn't have the cocaine-like effect that early love has, which, by the way, I literally mean that. Um, if I remember the study correctly, you actually can't tell the difference between somebody who's on cocaine and somebody who's having that first, um, that manic love state of new love. So it's pretty fascinating how hardcore that chemistry is. That, I think, is inevitably going to evolve into something else, um, which I'll liken to um, something more like oxytocin, uh, vasopressin, which, so vasopressin is trust. Oxytocin is that, like, that comforting, um, bonding sense that you get. So you put those two together, there's, there's this sense of, like, deep well-being when you're with your um, significant other. So that 
compared to the mania of the beginning of the, the love cycle. So now you're in this phase. Now that I think also begins to diminish over time is what, what I refer to as dust settling on the relationship. So you have these arguments, these arguments tend to build up. By the way, Lisa and I do a show called Relationship Theory. If you're not already watching that, go live on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Facebook only. Um, but we talk about this stuff. So dust settling on the relationship over time, that really begins to change the way that you think about that person. And this is why, you know, 30 years into a marriage, oftentimes somebody can piss the other person off with like a look or by the way they swallow soup or what I mean, you hear all this crazy shit. So that's people that they're not addressing that issue. So when it happens to fully resolve it and fully let go, and move on, right? Or to really address it, like if it's a collision of values. So you get down to a collision of values, are you really addressing that? So now let's take it into the business world. So you go into your job, you're loving it. Oh my God, this is amazing. But, but my manager's a bit of a prick. Okay, and at first it's like not a big deal because I really love what I'm doing, so you sort of ignore it. Or the company goals aren't quite aligned with what I'm about, but you know what, that's all right. I really dig my, you know, the, the outcome, the, my team, whatever it is that you're holding on to, that thing that you're passionate about. So, but over time, all of the realities around you are beginning to sort of collapse in on themselves, becoming more and more of a pain in the ass, and that's almost certainly what you're reacting to. Or maybe, like I'll give you an example. So back um, when I was at Awareness Technologies, we had a governmental sales cycle. And I just learned about myself, B2B is not where I shine. I absolutely hate not knowing who I need to convince, not understanding what they're responding to. Whereas B2C, which is um, when the business sells direct to a consumer, that I get because I understand people. And I'm fascinated and I love building community and all of that. So that's incredibly meaningful to me. So that I understand, that I wanna be a part of. So even if I could have enjoyed being in the software business, I absolutely despised selling to companies and governments. So beginning to be beaten down by that long sales cycle and never understanding why somebody says yes or somebody says no is then painted back over the, because I actually had, I still do have a passion for technology. I absolutely love tech. So, but that was painting back on the thing that I actually enjoyed about it. So beginning to realize that there are all these influences that have absolutely nothing to do with the thing. So in professional sports, we see this a lot. Like once money's involved, it's not, you're not just playing for the love of the game anymore. Then it's about like, you know, did I hit my points? Is the coach putting me in enough or the other players passing the ball so that I can get my bonuses? Like it becomes a totally different ball game. Hey. So um, that's, you have to understand that stuff. Now, once you understand what the things are that are putting that inward pressure on your passion, you can begin to tease them apart and deal with them in real time. So one of the things I, I am just fiendish about now is principles by Ray Dalio. And so we're putting that into practice in the company because what I really don't want, one of the things that I found deeply emotionally distressing at Quest, so we got to 1,400 employees, was absolutely insane, it was wonderful, it was like the best of times, it was the worst of times, because when you have that many employees, if you don't have the infrastructure culturally and systematically, quite frankly, it becomes a real nightmare to have the kind of positive impact on people that you want to have. So I realized there was something I needed to learn that I had a deficiency that had to be addressed. And principles is that it is radical transparency. It is radical openness. Now, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I just want you to understand that that was me looking at something that I loved and was amazing, but then started to diminish in joy because I realized I haven't solved some other problem that has nothing to do with what my mission was at the company, which was to end metabolic disease. So here's this like human component thing that I hadn't mastered that I didn't understand well enough and now it was encroaching on the passion part. So you really have to figure out what those things are that are causing those problems and deal with those other things. Hey guys, in 2018, this is where you're going to start hearing ads on our podcast. The reason that we're going to be doing ads is to help us continue producing amazing content and reinvest our earnings back into the company to grow even better and do even more. The types of brands that we're going to be working with will all have products that are going to improve your life in some way. We promise not to be abusive with this. So thank you guys so much for being a part of this community and to listening to this content and now for helping us do even better. 
Um, next question is from Michael Marcelino on Facebook. Hey man, my question is, how do you remain confident with your goals and ambitions when everybody else thinks you are crazy? I have this 24 seven. I'm a vlogger and entrepreneur. I'm going to sell my first online course this year. And when I tell my family my goals, they just think I'm crazy. Okay, so first of all, that's amazing. Congratulations. Doubt is one of the most potent acute motivators, meaning if it is like for brief periods of time, leveraging that when you're like really feeling beat down, um, it's just brutal and you can't imagine going another step in your business. Leaning on that, knowing that people doubt you, knowing that you absolutely will not let those people be right and you're going to get up and drive yourself forward. Now, living there and spending more than 20% of your time in the dark side, I think is a mistake. I think you want to spend 80% of your time in the beauty and the things you're going to create, all the people that believe in you, the good that you're going to do to the world, the things you're grateful for, all of that should be 80% of your time. So 80% of the time you're waking up, you're pushing hard, you're doing all of that because of all that amazing stuff that you want to bring to the world, that you want to get better, all of it. 20% of the time, however, you want to think about the people that are on your fucking list, the people that doubted you, the people that heckled you, all of that, and you want to crush them, yes, I'm gonna use nice and aggressive language, you want to win, you want to defeat them, all of that stuff is incredibly powerful and I don't understand people that don't try to leverage that because it is insanely useful, but it's insanely useful in small dosages. So for very acute things, use that. Now, how do I deal with it? I don't give a shit. The truth is you've got to understand something deep and fundamental. You're not yet good enough. That's what they're responding to, but don't worry about that. Worry about who you can become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. So when people doubt me, part of it is I put them on a list and I think about it and I know that I will pull them out when I'm really feeling like I just can't go anymore. On the other hand, I'm thinking about the fact that they're right and you need to have the humility when hecklers are coming after you, they almost always go after something real. Remember that. People don't heckle you for stupid shit that isn't true. They're coming after you. Lean in. They're coming after you based on something real. And here's the truth, Michelle, Michael, Michelle, one of the two, you really aren't good enough. Let that sink in. Now, that doesn't matter because you're only not good enough yet. You can get good enough. You can become the dominant force in the industry. And anybody that tells you that it's too crowded, just like they told me, what you need to realize is you just have to outperform everybody else. And to outperform them, you have to get better than them. And if you're willing to do more work, to gain more skills, to practice, to look more nakedly at your inadequacies, to understand that the hecklers probably have something real to offer you, and that you simply need to be willing to separate the message from the messenger, look at what it is, really assess whether it is true or not, and if it is true, to address it through the acquisition of skills. That is my highest piece of advice to you. Now, to do that, you have to build your self-esteem around something that is anti-fragile, meaning the more that it is attacked, the stronger you get. So when people tell me that I'm dumb, my only question is, in what way? Because once I understand how I'm deficient, where my thinking is wrong, what I can add to my skill set, then I can actually improve and get better because they've gotten rid of a blind spot for me. So I'm eternally grateful to people that doubt me. So that's really important, but you have to change your self-esteem. You've gotta be so stoked on yourself for being the learner. You've gotta be amped up every time you're willing to accept that, hey, they might be right. You've gotta have that humility to take in that criticism and not let it break you because that is how you get better. That's how you get better better. But most people don't want to hear the criticism. They don't want to hear the attack. They don't want to accept that they're not good enough. They want to sing Kumbaya and tell themselves that I'm really am great. I'm special. All that bullshit. Here's the reality. You're fucking average. That's the truth. And now can you build something on top of that that makes you capable of the extraordinary? And if you're willing to put in that work, if you're willing to accept that by nature, you're just another one, but that you can become extraordinary. If you can do that, if you can look nakedly at that, and if you can push yourself brutally hard to gain the skills that you need to become capable of the extraordinary, you will win. As Kobe Bryant said, booze don't block dunks.
it doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter how many people hate on you. It doesn't matter how many people criticize you. It doesn't matter how many people tell you that you're crazy or that it can't be done. It only matters if you believe in your ability to adapt enough that you'll put in the work to get the skills and then go execute. That's it. Nothing anybody says can ever stop you. Only you can stop you if you don't believe that you can get better. When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply all right Love that question. Thank you. All right. Next up, Nelson Chan. This is on Facebook. Hey, Tom, what are your thoughts and results you've had with Modius? All right. Modius, for those that don't know, I'm on the board of Modius Health. So take everything I say with a grain of salt because I can no longer be trusted. Um, here's the truth. I think that what, so what they're doing is vestibular stimulation. I think it is absolutely amazing. And every paper that comes out is mind blowing, but that's on paper. So now, how does it play out in the real world? My gut instinct, this is a fucking guess. I need everyone to hear that this is a guess. I need everyone to know that I am financially incentivized for this guess to be right, but I actually believe this. So my guess is it's gonna work really well for some people and not for others. So I used it, I've used it quite a bit, and 
it's in the placebo range for me, meaning I absolutely cannot tell if this is me wanting to believe that it works or it actually working. But then there are people who are very heavy and they've gotten results that just looking at the numbers, it's too big to be placebo. So the jury's out. I think this is one of the things people have to try for themselves. I got involved with the company because they offer a 100% money back guarantee. That was critical to me. I said I wouldn't get involved unless I did that. So try it. If it works for you, rad, keep it. If it doesn't work for you, get your money back. So I think that that's, I think it's the spectrum. I think it's going to work for some people and not for others. I don't know why it works for some people. We've got all kinds of studies that say why. Is it all real, man? Or is it total bullshit? I have no idea. So try it. If it works rad, if it doesn't, get your money back. That's the only true answer. All right. By the way, if this is adding value to you, please do share it. That would be amazing. That's how we continue to grow this community. And by the way, for all of you that ask what you can do, how you can help, that's the answer. Share this. Help us grow this community. That would mean the world to us. So hit that share button right now. That would be amazing. Thank you, guys. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, whatever your podcast um app of choices. Go give us a review. That would be amazing, especially in iTunes. That would be incredible. Go drop in a review. Give them five stars. That would be incredible, guys. Thank you. All right. Next up, Stephen Davis. This is on YouTube. I'm 22 years old and have wanted to be rich since I was eight. I watch a lot of your content and my only question that you haven't already answered is, how did you improve your self-discipline at 22? I'm not sure where you got the number 22. It's interesting. I probably said that at some point. Um, so here, here was the realization that I had at probably roughly 26, um, which I'm sad that it was that late. And that was that I had goals and I said that I was moving towards them. One of mine at that age happened to be to get rich. And the other was I wanted to feel good about myself. Now, I didn't realize that I want to feel good about myself was actually driving my behavior, whereas my goals were not. So I would occasionally do something that was at least visually in line with my goals. But behind the scenes, I was always doing things that made me feel good about myself. So I remember one day um, arguing with the guys who would ultimately become my business partners, who at the time were just my bosses. And I was arguing for my idea because it was my idea and I wanted it to win because I wanted to feel smart and they made me feel really stupid. And I finally, and I, by the way, in my head, I knew that this was going to move the company backwards. I knew it was the wrong answer. And I kept arguing and arguing and arguing. And finally they were like, okay, actually, yeah, you are right. Let's do it your way. And I thought, oh shit. Like I just convinced them of my idea, even though I know my idea is wrong. So what am I doing? Like, do I actually want to get rich? Do I actually want to move towards my goals? Or do I just want to feel good about myself? And I realized I want both. And the reality is I need to feel good about myself. That's just true. And the thought of living in a world where I'm moving towards my goals, but I absolutely feel like shit about who I am as a human being, that sounds horrific. So I've no interest in doing that. So instead, what I'm going to do is flip what I build my self-esteem around to being built around being a learner, being willing to admit when I was wrong, being willing to look at my inadequacies. And that was one of the only epiphanies that I've ever had in my life. Everything else has been sort of this slow, meandering thing where I'm putting things together. And even that, if I'm completely honest, is almost certainly the amalgamation of a bunch of things that I've been reading about and hearing about from people that I respected up until that moment. And the lightning rod moment was simply that all of a sudden it all made sense. But that was, that's the one thing that I will call a true epiphany. And once I switched that, then the self-discipline came out of, I actually want to move towards my goals. And I began to have this I didn't have these words back then, but a growth mindset. And so I just thought, whoa, like as I'm willing to accept I'm not good enough, as I'm willing to accept that I started hopelessly average, but that I can learn and that if I'm willing to push myself, that I can gain these skills. And here's the most important part. And this is the genesis of all of my self-discipline. The skills that you gain have real world consequence, meaning they actually do something that brings to you things that you want. And if those things are fulfillment, great. If they are helping someone you love, great. If they are building a big business, great. If it's getting rich, great. All of those things, though, they're a result of gaining a skill that now allows you to do something. And I'm going to give you one that I bet most of you don't even think about. The ability to walk is extraordinary. You had to learn it. The ability to talk literally shapes your brain and makes you capable of taking over the planet as the most dominant apex predator of all time. You had to learn that. So there are all these things that we learn to do that we absolutely take for granted, but to me, highlight the fact 
that humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. So once you realize that really truly you can acquire new skills that you did not have before and that those skills have real world implications when you're actually good at them, that's when all of a sudden the discipline comes out of excitement, man. Like I'm trying to do something and I know that it's really going to allow me to be more powerful. And I define power as being able to close your eyes, envision a world, open them and create that world. That is power. If you're not excited by that, if you're not excited by the thought that you right now, wherever you are in a small village in India somewhere right now, if you aren't intoxicated by the notion that you can gain power, the ability to manifest your dreams simply by working your ass off and acquiring new skills, like I'm not your guy, I can't help you. That is so intoxicating to me and so exciting to me that I, I don't need to convince myself to be disciplined. I want that thing so badly that I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get it within my code of ethics, of course, but I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get that thing. That to me is where discipline should be born out of. It should be born out of excitement. All right, next question. This one comes from Daniel Conrad on Facebook. How do you use self-signaling? What are some actions? What are some actions I can take to make self-signaling more effective with things like t-shirts, signs, et cetera? Uh, man, this feels like a plant. Uh, so, Self-signaling, let me just back up and explain what it is. So when you try to tell people who you are, whether it's the Apple computer with the logo that faces out, whether it's with the shirt that I'm wearing that says be legendary, whatever, working out in the gym and having a physique, whatever it is, you're trying to tell other people something about yourself. Uh, the way that we dress is one of the most obvious. The way that we wear your hair, the way you do your makeup, what piercings you get. These are all things that you use to signal to other people who you are and the way that you think. Now, what you don't realize is in that process, you're actually signaling more loudly to yourself through a process called self-signaling because every day you're reinforcing some ideology in yourself. So if you're gothing out, you're reinforcing that notion in your head. Um, if you're, you know, like me, wearing a Be Legendary shirt or you're wearing a shirt that says everything is my fault or any one of the things that we make, by the way, so this is like an extended commercial, but if you realize that in putting that stuff on, you're not just sig signaling to other people, you're reinforcing ideology in yourself, then you begin to realize how you can use it. So I wear this shirt or I wear the everything is my fault shirt to remind myself. And in fact, if we haven't already released it, which we may have, um, in fact, Chase is gonna tell me if we've already released it, uh, but we have, we're working on prototypes of shirts that are written backwards so that you see it in the mirror as a reminder to yourself more than to anybody else, which is a really cool idea that I think my wife came up with. Uh, she's certainly been the driver behind making sure that these get done. I love that idea. I think it's really, really cool. And that to me is, is one of the most important things you will do in your life. It's the ideas that you repeat in your head. So in fact, I was just reading today. I was so hoping that this would come up and I could share this with you guys. I was reading an article today about depression being more an issue of the mind than the brain. Now, I don't know if this is true, but it was really fascinating to me. And what they meant was the, the concepts that you repeat in your head, the ideas that you become obsessive about, the things that you think about over and over and over create this cascade. I'm gonna put words in their mouth now. That's sort of what, that's what they said. And now I'm gonna draw my own hypothesis that that begins to create these neuronal networks in your mind, neurons that fire together, wire together. And so whether you obsess about gratitude, that network then becomes very rapidly accessible. Whether you obsess about something negative, then depression, that network becomes rapidly lit up. And so you just find yourself there over and over and over. In fact, that's the first thing that boots up when you wake up in the morning is that depression loop kicks in and now you're back in that place. Now, how much of that is the mind and it's just what you obsessively think about and how much of that has uh, a physiological component, which comes first, I don't know. I do know though that there seem to be elements of both. So pretty interesting to me that a notion like self-signaling could work its way into your mind so intently that it actually begins to shape your brain. That is certainly the place that I approach it from and that's why um, self-signaling is so important to me. That's why I feel good about pushing our merch. Um, yeah, because I'm not gonna sell something that I don't believe in, that I don't think is helping people, that isn't good for them, uh, which is why the only things that we sell in my mind are very uplifting, very empowering, uh, which is a big deal to me. So. Um, that's how I use self-signaling. Um, yes, I do it through clothes, 
But honestly, the most important part of self-signaling is what do you repeat to yourself in your head? So what do you say to yourself when you fail? Um, what do you say to yourself when something is hard, right? All of those things, those ideas that you repeat, what are the people that you hang out with? What are they saying? Like the people that you choose to hang out with is a form of self-signaling. So um, yeah, super critical. That's how I use it. Okay, next up, Adrian Cubby. Hey, Tom, despite having a growth mindset, I can't seem to find the solution to my addictions yet, such as sex and, sex and emotional eating mainly. How would you handle addictive behaviors such as these? Thanks. Uh, the honest answer is I would get professional help. So I don't have an addictive personality, so I'm probably not the right person to ask this question to um, because addictive behavior from the outside seems insanely potent. So I would find somebody that really has experience with this that can walk you through it, um, not to think, oh, I can just muscle through this, but get as much help as you can with people that really understand this. They've been through it. They can give you the tips and tricks um, to get through that. So one of the things that um, I found interesting about alcoholics is they say that if you don't do the 12th step, which is helping somebody else in their recovery, that is never going to stick. So there's an interesting insight there. Uh, but I will officially pass the baton to somebody far more uh, capable of answering that question than I. Okay, this one is from Ovidiu Opria. Hey, Tom, uh, if I may ask, how can I learn to say no? I know it is related with the fear of being rejected that comes from when I was a child, but I still carry that baggage to this day. Okay, so first of all, it's understanding that being selfish is absolutely fine, that selfish is not a dirty word, um, that hopefully you have people in your life that you feel very connected to and obviously you want to do amazing things for them, but that ultimately it goes taking care of yourself first and then taking care of others. So I love doing things for other people. It's one of the things that I feel like I'm wired for and that I've fed into and really cultivated in my life. Uh, but at the end of the day, everybody falls in line behind what I'm trying to accomplish in my life. That is the truth, man. And I don't feel bad about that in the least. We all get a life to live. And so if we live a life that first and foremost makes us feel fulfilled, I think we're on the right track. Now to me, Humans, the way that we are wired, fulfillment is going to come from busting your ass to acquire a set of skills that make you feel good about yourself and live in service of other people. So getting good at something that's really going to fulfill you ultimately, I think, will end up being an act of service. But like, look at me. I've got multiple cameras pointed at me right now. There's nothing more arrogant than putting a lot of cameras on yourself and thinking that you have something to say. But I really believe that the things that I'm saying are helping people. And so it makes me feel good about myself. So this is one of those things I'm definitely doing for me. I'm doing for the way that it makes me feel about myself. I'm doing it because I have these grand goals, pull people out of the matrix and all that. And I want to build a huge company, make a lot more money in all of it. But I do it all in service of other people. I believe that the content that I make actually helps people. I believe that the merch that we sell actually helps people. All of that makes me feel good about doing it and pushing it hard. So the more that I push, the more that I build the company, more that I try to get out there, the better it makes me feel about myself because from a deep sense of fulfillment perspective, I believe that I'm gaining a set of skills that allows me to help other people. So now if somebody comes and wants me to do something that isn't in alignment with those things that I'm doing that gives me this deep sense of fulfillment and helps other people, it is very easy for me to say no. So it really comes down to just accepting that it's okay for you to be selfish, especially because the human mind has the um, protective mechanism of the things that are going to make you feel best and most fulfilled are almost always in service of other people. So there you have it. All right. Next question is from Erica Liu. Hi, Tom. I love you and Lisa. Thank you. That's very kind. Thank you for the positivity and inspiration. One thing I'd like to work on in 2018 is letting go of ego. As hard as it is to admit, I care what other people think and a rude comment or remark can damper an entire day as well as take up mental space. What do you have to say about that uh, and not care? Thank you. So I wouldn't waste a lot of time worrying about not caring about what other people think. I would really think about whether or not you have a growth mindset. So in a growth mindset, if somebody says something that's hurtful, you're able to really look at that and say, is it true? And if it is true, awesome. They've just eliminated a blind spot for me. So rather than being torn up about it, it's not a permanent state. And that's the important thing. It is not a permanent state. So if somebody points out something to you that is true and is hurtful, awesome. Leverage that emotion. Now this is Ray Dalio talking. Pain plus reflection equals progress. Pain plus reflection equals progress. So you first need that painful impulse. So, okay, that sucked, that stings. Wow, I didn't want to hear that. But you know what? Actually, I do want to hear that because now I'm aware of something that I wasn't aware of a minute ago. And now I can accept that I'm not good at that, but I'm only not good at that 
yet, or I'm only that way right now. And I can change if I so desire to get better at that thing. And for me, knowing that I could get better at that thing if I choose to, it put me in control, it allows me to let go of the hurt and move forward. And now it's like, hey, you're aware of something. Here's a reality, man. I want everyone to really let this sink in. Whatever hurtful, painful thing that that person just said to you, brace yourself for this one, boys and girls. Whatever hurtful, painful things that person just said to you, the entire rest of the world is already aware of it. You with me? The entire rest of the world, the people that interact with you, they're already aware of it. So they just haven't said anything. And this is why I am obsessed with principles. So the book Principles by Ray Dalio is about one simple fact. You need people that will tell you the truth, the brutal, honest truth. Because the fact is, you're going to be wrong, and you're going to be wrong a lot. You're going to be wrong about your business. You're going to be wrong about yourself. You're going to be wrong about myriad things. And so you need input from other people that you trust, that have believability in that area. So this isn't about believing everything everyone tells you, but this is about really looking at what people have to say, wanting the truth more than you want to protect your ego. And in fact, I will say, it's about building your ego around your willingness to stare at your inadequacies, your willingness to accept that you're not good at everything, your willingness to accept somebody's criticism, to look at it, to see if it's actually real, and if it is real, to make immediate and lasting change in your life. That is what the ego should be. It should be built around that, that, hey, other people would hear that comment and they would stop at the hurt. They would shut it down. The uh, psychological immune system would kick in and they would find a way to um, discredit the person speaking, to say, that's not true about me and to continue to bury their head in the sand and be blind. But you, my friends, dear listener, dear viewer right now, the thing that is going to allow you to become capable of the extraordinary, the reason that you are a part of this community, the reason that you identify as an impactivist is because you're willing to stare at your inadequacies, to accept them, and to understand that you can eradicate each and every one of them by gaining a skill that has utility, by getting better. That's what this is all about. It's about actually improving yourself. It's about actually getting better at something. That's the key. When you realize that, like, it's not about not caring about what people think. You may care even more because you want the truth. It's about getting to the truth because the truth is efficient. It's about getting to the truth because the truth is efficient. It's the thing that's going to allow you to actually identify what's wrong, improve, get better. And once you get better, going back to what I was saying earlier, once you get better, you can actually influence the world. And when you can influence the world, you can close your eyes, imagine a world, open them, and actually make that world come true. That's power. But it starts with being willing to accept the truth. All right. Next up, and this is going to have to be the last one. This is from Tommy King. I have a lot of anxiety being 50, starting college for the first time, and taking care of a family. In your opinion, what is the best way to decimate and or cope with anxiety, stress, of expectation? Tommy, first of all, you inspire me to no end. Being 50 and starting college is amazing. So here's what you're going to do. Anxiety is about obsessing over a future that hasn't happened. You're imagining how poorly things could go. You're imagining walking into the room and everybody thinking that you're old and judging you for it and laughing. Don't worry about that. Think about this. What happens when you walk in that room? I have the chills. You walk in that room and you learn something new. And that something new becomes a part of you. And now you're able to do something you weren't able to do before. And now you can influence the world in a way you couldn't influence it before. And now you can imagine accomplishing your dreams because you actually have the skill set to execute against it. You know what to do to actually build that thing. Think about being an architect who manifests their dreams in the most real way possible. But first, they have to learn about architecture. They have to learn about engineering. They have to understand what's going to build a building that's going to last. They have to learn all of those things first. Nobody is born an architect. It's learned. So walking into that room, who gives a shit what people think? Who cares if they're making fun of you? Click over into the growth mindset and understand you are there to gain a set of skills. And it does not matter. Booze don't block dunks. 
It doesn't matter what other people think. There's no sense in having anxiety around that because you can learn. You are a human. Every human being can learn. Even people with tremendous deficiencies, including traumatic brain injuries, are able to learn and adapt. Maybe not at the same rate. I get all of that. I'm just saying it is possible. That is fundamentally what we are wired to do. So you're going to go into that room and you're going to focus on the thing that you can control, which is your amount of effort. It may take you longer. Who cares? It's just about getting that skill. And if you know about yourself that you're going to stick with it, there's no reason to have anxiety. It doesn't matter. Literally, I could walk into a classroom where every day, the first 10 minutes of the class, we're fucking make fun of Tom. People laughing. It doesn't matter. You're there to learn. Focus on what you're going to learn. Focus on its usability. And hopefully, that will take care of everything else. Now, there's a whole host of other things that go around with anxiety. I don't want to cheapen that as somebody who has struggled profoundly with anxiety. I know how deep that rabbit hole really is. But for now, that's the important thing that's going to combat your anxiety. Don't worry about that future of all the things that could go wrong. Obsess over the things that are in your control that you're going to make sure go right. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for submitting your questions. I love them beyond measure. You can't imagine how grateful I am that you take the time to submit them. If this added value to your life, please do share it. That would be absolutely amazing. And if you haven't already, be sure to go over to shop.impacttheory.com, self-signal yourself to empowerment, get some merch. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. And since I won't speak to you before New Year's, have a very happy New Year crush it in 2018, finish 2017 strong. All right, guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.